Lesson 2 for April 5-11, to 11, Christ and the Law of Moses. Sabbath afternoon, April 5. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that your word provides for us. We thank you for the law that you gave. We thank you because it explains to us who you are and what you mean for us to do. We pray that as we open your word this week and look back in history, look back in the Bible, that we may more closely understand your will for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Sabbath afternoon. Our memory text is John chapter 5 and verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Let's read that again. John five forty-six. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Many Christians have been raised on stories about Jesus' supposedly negative relationship to the Jewish religion, an unfortunate misconception that has only helped feed anti-Semitism throughout the centuries. Jesus spoke out against the abuses of the religion, that's true, but not against the religion itself. After all, he was the founder of it. Indeed, the gospel accounts of his life and ministry show that Jesus was a faithful Jew, fully immersed in Jewish culture from the moment of his birth to the final week of his life in human flesh. Like every loyal Jew in the first century, Jesus was subject to the Mosaic law. Raised in a home with loyal Jewish parents, he fully appreciated his rich earthly heritage, which was rooted in divine providence. He knew that God himself had inspired Moses to pen these laws with the purpose of creating a society that reflected his will and served as a beacon to the nations. He adhered faithfully to the letter of the law, from circumcision to his visit to the temple to the feasts and to his attitude about taxes, Jesus remained steadfastly faithful to a system that he knew would over time be fulfilled through his death and his ministry in heaven. This week, we'll look at more of the laws that Jesus himself kept. Sunday, April 6, Circumcision and Dedication God established his covenant with Abraham, saying that he would be the father of many nations. We read about that in Genesis 17, verse 4. When God made this covenant, the 99-year-old Abraham had only recently fathered Ishmael and had not yet seen the birth of his promised son Isaac. Nevertheless, he was commanded to circumcise himself along with every male member of his household, and he was instructed to ensure that every son born into his household from that day forth be circumcised on the eighth day. So important was this sign that the circumcision took place even if the eighth day fell on a Sabbath, as recorded in Leviticus chapter 12 verse 3 and John chapter 7 verse 22. This truth gives us a better understanding of the earliest days of Jesus' life. The Gospels do show that Joseph and Mary were chosen to be the earthly parents of Jesus, at least in part because of their piety. 
Joseph is described as a righteous man in Matthew 1.19, and Mary is said to have found favour with God in Luke 1.30. When Jesus was eight days old, his parents held a naming and circumcision ceremony in the same manner as an untold number of Hebrew males had experienced in times past. Imagine the spotless Son of God, now in human form, undergoing the very ritual that he himself had instituted many centuries earlier. Question. Read Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, in light of Exodus 13, 2 and 12, and Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. What more do these texts tell us about Joseph and Mary? What can we learn for ourselves in our own time and sphere from their example? Well, first of all, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Meanwhile, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, it reads, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And verse 12, That you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days, she shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification sixty-six days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest the lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon, or a turtle dove, as a sin offering, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood, that is, the law for her, who was born a male or a female. And, if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering, and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. The Bible is clear that Mary was a virgin when she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. So, Jesus was the first child that opened her womb. According to Exodus 13, every firstborn among the Israelites, whether animal or human, was to be dedicated to the Lord. The law also stipulated in Leviticus 12, 2-5 that after the birth of a male child, the woman was ceremonially unclean for a total of 40 days, 80 for a female child. 
At the end of this period, she was required to show herself to the priest and offer a sacrifice. As pious Jews, Mary and Joseph meticulously fulfilled the obligation of the Mosaic law and ensured that the Son of God bore the marks of the covenant. Monday, April 7, Jewish Feasts Our text for today is John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The first major festival period in the Jewish calendar year is the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread, which commences with Passover. The festival commemorates the deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery when the angel of death passed over the homes of those who put the blood on their doorposts. The Gospels record three occasions when Jesus celebrated Passover. First of all, we look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 43. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Another one is in John chapter 2, but we'll go to Matthew 26 verses 17 to 20. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Fifty days after Passover came the Feast of Shavuot, S-H-A-V-U-O-T, often referred to by its Greek name, Pentecost. Although the scriptures don't provide a reason for Pentecost, the rabbis believed that it commemorated the giving of the law to Moses. There is no record in the Gospels that Jesus celebrated Pentecost. However, before his ascension, he counseled his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts chapter 1. This event actually occurred, however, on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The final festival season in the Jewish calendar were the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement signifies the day on which sin was cleansed from the camp, and the people were at one with God. Booths commemorates the time when Israel had to live in tents in the wilderness. In addition to the feasts of Moses' laws, the Jews have two other festivals that commemorate God's historical intervention. 
The first is Purim, P-U-R-I-M, which marks the deliverance of the Jewish people from genocide when Esther appealed to the Persian king. The second is Hanukkah, also known as the Feast of Dedication, and we read about that in John chapter 10, verse 22. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And this celebrates the victory of the Maccabeans over the Greeks in 164 BC. Of course, the biblical feasts were done away with long ago, at least as far as Christians are concerned. They all met their fulfilment in Christ. However, we can learn a great deal through studying them and the messages that they contain, because all of them teach lessons about God's saving grace and power to deliver. So to finish today, though we no longer keep these feasts, what things can we do that help to keep before us the reality of God, what he has done for us, and what he asks of us? Tuesday, April 8, Jesus in the Temple The New Testament does not tell us too much about the childhood of Jesus. One account, though, that gives great insight is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. The story of Jesus and his parents' visit to Jerusalem during the Feast of Passover. Read it over and then answer the following questions. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know about it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him out among their relatives and acquaintances. So, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So, when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you done this to us? Look!' Your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. First question, how does this story help to illustrate the decidedly Jewish character of the Gospels and how central the religion was to all that took place? Two, how is it significant that this story took place during the Passover? Three, for how many days were Jesus' parents not able to find him? Of what does that remind you? For, though Jesus was an obedient child, his answer to his parents appears to be almost a rebuke. What important point does his reply contain? 
What does this say to all of us about what must have top priority in our lives? So to finish today, read Luke 2, 51. What does it mean that he was subject to them? How does this verse give us even more insight into the amazing condescension on the part of God for our salvation? What can this teach us about the need for submission in the right time and place? Verse 51, Then he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and men. Wednesday, April 9. Taxes. As last week's lesson noted, the law of Moses had both civic and ceremonial components. The ceremonial aspect means that the temple was at the centre of the Jewish religious life. In fact, by the first century, the temple was probably the only remaining structure that gave the Jews any sense of national identity. The temple that stood in Jerusalem was undergoing renovations during Jesus' ministry. Herod the Great had started the Grandiose Project in about 20 BC, and it would not be fully completed until AD 66. Recognising how serious many Jews were about their faith, the Romans allowed the Jews to collect their own taxes in order to cover the costs involved with the maintenance of the temple. Every Jewish male over the age of 20 was to pay the half-shekel tax, regardless of his economic status. We read this in Exodus chapter 30, verse 13. This is what every one among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty jiras. The half-shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. And Exodus 38, verse 26 a beaker for each man, that is, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from twenty years old and above, for six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men. Question. Read Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. What did Jesus mean when he said, Lest we should offend them? What principle do we find here that we should apply in our own lives as well? Beginning at verse 17. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. It seems that the temple tax collectors travelled throughout the provinces to ensure that every male fulfilled his legal obligation. 
Peter's initial response to the tax collectors gives the impression that Jesus regularly paid his taxes. However, as the Son of God, Jesus appears to question the appropriateness of having to pay taxes for the upkeep of his Father's house. In Desire of Ages, page 434, we read, If Jesus had paid the tribute without a protest, he would virtually have acknowledged the justice of the claim that he was under obligation to pay and would thus have denied his divinity. But, while he saw good to meet the demand, he denied the claim upon which it was based. In providing for the payment of the tribute, he gave evidence of his divine character. It was made manifest that he was one with God and therefore was not under tribute as a mere subject of the kingdom. End quote. Notwithstanding, Jesus chose to comply with the authorities and directed Peter to retrieve the tax from the mouth of the first fish that he caught. The shekel in the fish's mouth was enough to cover the tax for both Jesus and Peter. So to finish the day, Jesus paid his temple tax even though he knew that the magnificent structure would soon be destroyed, as he said in Matthew 24, 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you that not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. What should this tell us about our obligations to be faithful in our tithes and offerings, regardless of whatever problems we believe exist? Thursday, April 10, Law Enforcement As we have seen, Jesus was a faithful citizen who fulfilled his responsibilities as a Jewish male, even when his life was in danger. For example, see John chapter 7, verse 1, and verses 25 and 26, and chapter 10, 31. Well, let's do that. John 7, verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. And at the end of the chapter, verses 25 and 26, Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? And 10.13, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that he was, it was not his purpose to abolish the law or the prophets. And we read that in Matthew chapter 5. That brings us to our question. How then are we to understand John 8 verses 1 to 11 and Matthew 19 verses 1 to 9 in light of Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 24? What is happening here? Well, let's have a look at these verses. First of all, John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, 
This woman was caught in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees, who came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate." They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. And then we look at that in the light of Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 to 24. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And... Chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Some of the Pharisees were always trying to expose Jesus as a lawbreaker. We see that in John chapter 8. When they present him with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, they pose this question. Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? 
Interestingly enough, Jesus does not directly respond to their inquiry. In fact, he affirms the law of Moses with his response in John 8, 7. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He isn't saying that she shouldn't be stoned. He simply forces these men to see their own violations of the law. Even the woman's release is in harmony with the law of Moses because there is none to point an accusing finger. And at least two witnesses are needed to administer justice as recorded in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. In the incident concerning divorce and remarriage, Jesus appears to contradict the law of Moses with his insistence that there were originally no grounds for divorce. When the Pharisees point to Moses' commandment in Deuteronomy 24, Jesus places everything in perspective. Nowhere does Moses command that divorce should take place. However, because of the people's obstinacy, Moses made an allowance for divorce. Thus, we see that even when Jesus critiques a Mosaic law, he does not set it aside. Jesus was a faithful Jew in every way, adhering to the law of Moses. So to finish today, how do we learn to balance justice and grace for those who, like ourselves, fall into sin? If we are going to err, as we as fallen beings inevitably do, what side is it better to err on, and why? Friday, April 11. Three times a year, Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 447, the Jews were required to assemble at Jerusalem for religious purposes. Enshrouded in the pillar of cloud, Israel's invisible leader had given the directions in regard to these gatherings. During the captivity of the Jews, they could not be observed, but when the people were restored to their own land, the observance of these memorials was once more begun. It was God's design that these anniversaries should call him to the minds of the people. And from page 81. It was natural for the parents of Jesus to look upon him as their own child. He was daily with them, his life in many respects was like that of other children, and it was difficult for them to realize that he was the Son of God. They were in danger of failing to appreciate the blessing granted them in the presence of the world's Redeemer. The grief of their separation from him and the gentle reproof which his words conveyed were designed to impress them with the sacredness of their trust. And that brings us to our three questions for this week. 1. Dwell on the incredible truth that, though Jesus instituted these laws— when he enters into humanity, he places himself under them. What does this tell us about the character of God? 2. Try to put yourself in the position of Joseph and Mary. Is it any wonder that they didn't fully understand all that was involved with Jesus? Are there not a lot of things about Jesus that we don't understand either? How can we learn to trust and obey despite the many things that we don't understand? And 
Number three, what would you say to a Christian who argues that we are to keep the feasts? Hint, you might start by asking, how do you intend to keep them, given that the feasts all centred around the temple, which has long been destroyed, and the shedding of blood, which has stopped? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled An Offering of Praise. Yesavadian was in his sixties when he first met Jesus through a dream. God called him to serve him, and Yesavadian answered. He left his farm to his family and walked away to follow God's leading. For several years he walked from village to village, sharing his newfound faith in God with others. In the past 25 years, he has led more than 400 people to Christ, revived three dying churches, and started four new congregations. When the local field saw what Yesavadian was doing, they offered him a stipend to help him. When Yesavadian finds a dying church, he visits the people in the area and leads them to Jesus. Then he oversees the work to rebuild the church so that the growing congregation has a suitable house in which to worship. When he finds a village without believers, he settles among the people and begins planting seeds of faith. He stays until a congregation and a simple church building have been raised. Recently, Yosavarian walked to a village in India and began seeking out people who were willing to hear about Jesus. He began studying the Bible with them, and their interest grew. He has spent two years in that village and continues working there. So far, more than 20 people have been baptized, and the congregation is growing stronger. But Yesavadian, now in his 80s, is thinking of moving on to start a new congregation someplace else. While he's waiting for God's call, he's helping to give Bible studies for an up-and-coming series of meetings to be held in a central town nearby. God has blessed me in so many ways, he says. He leads me to the rich and poor alike. He leads me to those who want to know more about God. I stay and study with anyone who wants to hear God's message. While some of the people he studies with are from a Christian background, many are not. He finds special needs in the village and tries to help meet those needs, whether it's for food or clothes or community support. I have no intention of retiring, he says, with a smile spreading across his weathered face. I'm looking forward to holding another series of meetings, raising up another church. Usually, Yesavadian doesn't preach, but he invites evangelists to come and speak at the evangelistic meetings after he has tilled the soil and planted seeds of faith. God has shown me his love and given me strength to do his work, he says. Sharing my faith is my offering of praise to God. Yesavadian, a former farmer, shares his faith with others in southeastern India. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.